Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word. Turn to Mark's Gospel. We're going to be in the 12th chapter of Mark, beginning with verse number 28. Mark 12, verse number 28. You know, we enjoy uh, asking, debating uh, the goat questions, the greatest of all time questions. Questions like, who's the greatest world leader of all time, the greatest nation of all time, the greatest president of all time, the greatest uh, baseball player, football player, basketball player, golfer, hockey player of all time? Who's the greatest quarterback of all time? He's actually playing tonight. And yes, his last name does start with a B. Uh, or we ask things like, well, what's the greatest movie or book or musician of all time? And we go, we go on and on about what is the greatest of all time. Well, the interest in the greatest of all time didn't start with us. It goes even 2,000 years back to a scribe who asked Jesus a question. And basically the scribe is asking Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of all time? Mark chapter 12, verse 28. We're going to dive in and see how this scribe asked Jesus this question. Then we're going to unpack the text together. So first thing we do is read it. So if you're there, say I'm there. If you're not there, it'll be on the screen. There it is. Here we go, verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You've truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, and with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Father, we thank you for your word that we can gather corporately, either in person or online, and we can hear your word. The Bible says that faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. So please give us ears to hear what you, Holy Spirit, have to say to your church today. We ask it in Jesus' name, and God's people said, all right, I want to speak to you on the simple subject, what matters most, okay? What matters most? Uh, This scribe comes to Jesus, and he asks him a question. He asks him, which which commandment is the most important of all? Now, why would he ask him that? Here's why. Because this scribe really wanted to know down deep. He wanted to know what God wanted from him. He wanted to know what God expected of him. That's what he wanted to know. Do do you ever want to know what God wants from you? (laughs) You ever want to know what God expects of you? If you're like me, you've gone to church, you've heard sermons, you've listened to podcasts, you've read books, you've sought wisdom from other people. Why? Because you want to know what God expects of you. You want to know 
what God wants from you. Meanwhile, in this crazy culture we live in of confusion and all these different issues from political to cultural to societal to racial, all these issues and even in the church, we hold some to be more important than others. And even among us, we can't agree on which one is more important than this one. And that one's more important than that one. And in a world where something matters to everyone and everything matters to someone, on the inside, we're screaming, what matters most? What is the most important? What does God want for me? What does God expect of me? All the issues in our culture are important, from, from, from the COVID issues to political issues and everything in between. They all matter, but what is most important? What matters most? Well, today, you're going to get that answer. Listen, some of you have been waiting on this word from God's word your entire life. By the end of this message, you're going to know exactly what God expects of you. That's pretty good news. So how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to look at expectations. There's four of them that we can quickly pull from these verses. The first one we find in verse 28 and verse 29, and it reads this way. Love God above all. God expects you, God expects me to love Him above all. God expects you to love God more than anyone and more than anything. He expects you to love Him above all. How do we know that? Well, I want to set the context up of this conversation, then we'll get into the first thing Jesus says that highlights the fact that we're to love God above all. But first of all, I want you to see this conversation in the context of how the text presents it to us. First of all, notice one of the scribes. Not all the scribes, not a group of scribes, but one of them, an individual came up to Jesus, he heard the conversation, the dispute happening, the debate happening, and he saw Jesus' answer and he was being sincere. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But allow me to describe to you the scribes. How would we describe the scribes? Well, they were experts in the law. They were experts in the Scripture. Thirteen years of age, a scribe would move to Jerusalem and sit under the teaching of a rabbi. And it wasn't until the age of 30 that a scribe could be inaugurated into the office of the scribe. Ezra, from the Old Testament, Ezra was a scribe. Over time, what the scribes wrote began to take precedence over the Holy Scriptures. And that was a problem. And the scribes, like the Pharisees, they loved to get attention. They loved popularity. They loved to be held in the marketplace. They loved to get the prominent places at every formal function they would go to. They loved that. And Jesus threatened all of that. Jesus' popularity threatened their popularity. Jesus came and his teaching was counter to their teaching. Their teaching basically boiled down to this. Human achievement is what rules the day. And Jesus just turned that upside down. Right? He threatened their whole corrupt religious belief system, and they were insanely jealous of him. So the context of this conversation, in fact, Jesus even said in the Sermon on the Mount, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the experts, unless you become, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the experts, the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. So this was a that, that was an impossibility for a Jew to exceed an expert. If they're an expert, how can you exceed an expert? And so it, it's highlighted 
in these questions. There's three questions that these group of people come to ask Jesus. One of them is asked by the Pharisees. And all they're trying to do is entrap Jesus, make him look foolish, trick him or trap him. So the first question is by the Pharisees, and they ask, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And you can read about that between verse 13 and verse 17. We don't have time to do that right now, but in chapter 12, verse 13 and 17, there's a conversation about, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus made them look foolish. Okay. The second question came from the Sadducees. This group did not believe in the resurrection. And they have this crazy hypothetical, just ridiculous, what they bring to Jesus. But I'm going to read it just to set up the context of the scribe coming to Christ. In Matthew 12, verse 18, they ask him a question. And this is what they said to him in verse 19. Moses teaches us uh, that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Okay? And then they have this ridiculous hypothetical. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, left no offspring. The third, likewise, died no offspring. All the way to the seventh, the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was brother number five, and my four brothers prior to me had married this woman, and they all died... I think I'd have a question. I'd have a check in my spirit. What is happening? This is a ridiculous hypothetical. But they ask it in order to try to trap Jesus. You know, I've heard it said, if you want to draw a crowd, preach a sermon series on one of two subjects, on sex or on the end times. You'll draw a big crowd. If you want to draw a really huge crowd, preach on sex in the end times. And that's what they're asking Jesus about. In the end times, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be? And again, Jesus makes them look foolish and says, they don't marry, they're not given in marriage, they're just like the angels in heaven on, the day of, on that day, in the end. So he makes them look foolish again. So it's in the context. This one scribe is watching all of this. He's hearing all of this. And so it's his turn to approach Jesus. And when he got up that morning, he absolutely was going to approach Jesus to try to trick him or trap him. But he asked Jesus a question now, sincerely, not trying to trap Jesus, but trying to untrap himself. And this is the question he asked, which commandment is the most important of all? And he sincerely wanted to know that. Because the scribes had 613 commandments they're trying to keep up with. 613? Can you imagine if you go to someone's house and they've got 613 rules listed for you to spend time in their home? That's a little ridiculous. That's what they had. David brought them down to 11. Moses to 10. Isaiah to 6. Micah to 3. The scribes saying, Jesus, can you get it down to 1? Can you just sum up the law and the prophets in one commandment. Is that possible? He sincerely wants to know. Rabbi Halil lived 20 years prior to Jesus, and he was approached by a Gentile, and, and the Gentile said, I'll convert to Judaism if you'll stand on one foot and tell me the whole law, all 613 commandments. So Rabbi Halil stood on one foot, and this is what he said, what you yourself hate, do not do to your neighbor. This is the whole law. The rest is commentary 
go and learn it. That's what the scribe wanted. He wanted Jesus to give him a summation of the law. Which one is the most important of all? Now, it's interesting in the Greek that if you look at the end of verse 28, the word all, somebody say all. Yeah, this word all, we think that it modifies the word commandment, but it doesn't modify the word commandment. Now, does the scribe want to know of all the commandments which one is important? Yes. But he also wants to know of all the people on planet Earth, what is the most important? For the American, for the African, for the Asian, for the European, what is the most important? What matters most to every people group, every tribe, every language, every nation, every people, not just Jews, but also Gentiles, what matters most? And Jesus gives them the answer in this Shema from Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel. That's what the word Shema means, to hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Somebody say one. Yeah, you see this. He really highlights the exclusivity of God. He is one. Our God is one. And so what Jesus does, he takes the Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5, the Shema that Jews would recite every morning, every evening, before every worship service they would recite it. You can think of the Shema in Deuteronomy 6 as the Jewish confession of faith. That's probably the best way to think of it. And they'd write it down, they'd put it in little boxes called phylacteries, and they'd wear them on their forehead. And that was the problem. They had the law on their head, they had the law in their head, but they didn't have it in their heart. And the scribe is sincerely, something's something stirring in this scribe's heart. So he comes to Jesus and asks, this question and Jesus gives them the exclusivity of God that you're to love God above all he is one our God and you're to love him alone above everything above anything and anyone you're to love him Jesus claimed that same exclusivity he said come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest Jesus come to me not to me and religion or me and good works come to me Jesus didn't say, come to me, all who need self-help, and I'll give you steps. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Rest for your souls. Oswald Chambers said it like this, Beware of anything that competes with your loyalty to Jesus Christ. Above all, love God. With all that you have and all that you are, you're to love Him. The Bible is either, as Rabin Hill said, the Bible is either absolute or it is absolute obsolete second expectation God expects of us is this love God with all you are the word all appears here multiple times in verse number 29 uh, 30 31 Uh, notice the word all Love God with all you are. That's the second expectation from verse number 30 in particularly. Love God with all you are. And here's how it lays out. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your being. You know, think of of sin like a stack of endless parking tickets that just keep growing, right? And you have a stack of endless parking that you can't pay. You can't repay. You can't pay them. And so religion comes along and religion says, hey, I can give you parking lessons. Okay, that's great. But I've still got this endless stack of parking tickets that I can't pay. 
So Jesus comes along and Jesus says, hey, I can pay those parking tickets in full. And this is the love of God demonstrated for us on the cross. This is how this happened, that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And because he first loved us, we can now love him with everything we are, with all that we are. God loves each one of us as if there was only one of us. Therefore, each one of us are to love him because there is only one of him. And it all starts, look where it starts, verse 30. Love the Lord your God with all your what? With all your heart. With all that, uh, with all that your emotions. Love Him with uh, the real you. Like the, the, the real you from your heart, in your heart, with your heart. Love God with all your heart. Uh, One said it like this, nothing in physical creation was designed to satisfy the longing of your heart. The creator, the designer satisfies your heart. Nothing that he designed, but he himself. Winnie the Pooh said it like this, sometimes the smallest things take up the most room in your heart. Don't, listen, we cannot love God with with a divided heart. We can't, we can't be loyal to God with divided loyalty or divided allegiance or divided obedience. Love Him with all your heart. Love Him with all your soul. Now, the soul here is speaking to the spirit. Spiritual disciplines. Think about those for a moment. Spiritual disciplines like praying and fasting or journaling through the Word or reading the Word or teaching the Word or memorizing the Word or meditating on the Word. Or sharing the word. Think about those spiritual solitude and and other spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines. Why do we have them? Why are we to spend time with the Lord? Listen, spiritual disciplines are not about making you more precious to God. Spiritual disciplines are about making God more precious to you. You can't become more precious to God than you already are. But God can become more precious to us. Every one of us. And how does that happen? We spend more time with Him. Not less time with Him. More time with Him. That's how we love God with our self-conscious life. With our spirit. With our soul. It doesn't take much of a person to be a believer. But it takes all there is of him or her. Love the Lord with all your heart. With all your soul. And then look at this. With all your mind. Now, when you think of the mind, I want you to think of your thought life, your thoughts. Are you loving God with your thoughts? Are your thoughts God-centered thoughts? Are you guarding your minds? What you're letting into your minds, are you guarding that? Are they God-centered thoughts that you're letting in? We're to love the Lord with our thought life. You know this, and I know this as well. One of our biggest problems currently, as the church, I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about, I'm talking about those who are the church. One of our biggest problems, church, today is more and more and more of us are being discipled by the nightly news, by social media news, rather than the good news. And that's a problem. I mean, that's a problem. If you're listening and watching 
more the nightly news or this news or that news and less time in the good news, then my question to you is, whose disciple are you? Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your, with all your mind, and then with all your strength. And think of strength, we think of our will. Uh, any, the drive that you have, are you loving God with that will and with your drive? John D. Rockefeller said it like this, I can think of nothing less pleasurable than a life devoted to pleasure. <laughs> right? God wants our whole life. God wants, he's never satisfied with anything less than the devotion of your whole life for the duration of your whole life, period. Nothing, every action for a believer needs to be a God-centered action. Every belief, a God-centered belief. Every thought, God-centered thought. Every, every home, a God-centered home. Every family, a God-centered family. Every conversation, a God-centered conversation. Every service, a God-centered service. This is what God, I didn't write this. This is what God expects of us. To love him with all we are to love him above anything and above anyone that means to prefer him that's what that means to prefer him number three here's the third expectation that we see laid out for us in verse number 31 love people who are easy to love you know some folks are easy to love aren't they (laughs) some folks are not so easy to love But God wants us to love people who are easy to love. So who are the people in your life that are easy to love? Maybe it's the people that think like you, look like you, believe like you, behave like you. Or run in the same circles you run in. Or the same groups that you're affiliated with. Uh, Maybe it's people that are kind to you. Or people that are your kind. Those kind of things. Now, here's the reality. The reality is it's never really easy to love even anyone but ourselves because we're so selfish even even loving easy people is not always easy that's why the bible tells us to accept one another to bear with one another, put up with one another uh, comfort one another encourage one another live in harmony with one another serve one another submit to one another and on down the list it's not always easy to love people who are easy to love and so here jesus tells the scribe the second is this now the scribe didn't ask for a second one. He wanted one. But this is the first time a rabbi, this is for the Lord Jesus, God himself, has married these two. Love God, love people, and he marries them into one. And so the second is like it. And he says, there is no other commandment greater than these. And so he puts these two together. Love God, love people. And so part of that is loving people who are easy to love. And Paul calls the church out so often. Corinthians was no different. Paul tells the church at Corinth, love is an action. In fact, this is what he tells them in chapter 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, I've got to tell you this. You've heard it before. I've probably said it before. When it comes to the rules concerning context, context rules. And the context of 1 Corinthians 13 is not a wedding. Paul is not writing 1 Corinthians with wedding bells going off in his mind. He's writing 1 Corinthians 
rebuking the church at Corinth because they have some charisma, but their character is lacking. And he hammers this church on what love is. And therefore, all churches on what love truly is. You know, in the year 2019, you'd hear something like this. I like this restaurant because uh, they have excellent service or the food is delicious. That's about two years ago. Today, you'll hear somebody say, man, I love this restaurant. Because look, you can get salt and pepper in the shaker on the table. It's easier to like restaurants in 2021 than it was in 2019. The bar has fallen quite a bit. But it's not so easy to love people in 2021 than it was in 2019. Because we've got all these different opinions on all these different issues. And what's more important than the other? And it's infiltrated the church. Again, I'm not talking to the world. James Merritt said it like this. When I think of the toxic atmosphere we're in today, I'm reminded that spit, spat, and spite are close relatives. I'm determined not to spit out divisiveness, not to get in a spat over disagreements, or exercise spite toward those who have differences with me. When we love the Lord God with all we are, it enables us to love each other. When we prefer God, it enables us to prefer one another. It enables us to love the people who are easy to love. To love our children, love our spouses, love our neighbors, love our co-workers, love our classmates. Love begins in the home. Mary and Joseph took Jesus home. They didn't leave him in the manger. They took him home. Don't leave Jesus here today. Take him home. Take him to work. Take him to school. Take, him, take the gospel with you. Love God. Love people. That's what God expects of us. Number four, last expectation here, love people who are not easy to love. You knew that was coming. You knew it was coming. you got to love people who are easy to love. We're also called to love people who are not easy to love. And though it's not always easy to love people who are easy to love, it's never easy to love people who are not easy to love. It's just not. Have you seen the uh, coexist bumper stickers? On cars, you've seen those? Where the word coexist is spelled out with like all the symbols of the different belief systems. Y'all have seen this or am I the only one? Have you seen it? Okay. This bumper sticker is not working. We're not coexisting very well, are we? Absolutely not. It's getting worse. And what's even getting worse than that is the, the social media and, and how Christians are going at each other. On social media, you remember in school, I'm sure, the guy or the girl that always raised his or her hand, always had the answer, or always asking a question. Like social media has given those folks the ability to raise their hand on every issue all the time, just all the time. I'm convinced that the supply of opinions has far exceeded the demand for opinions, right? (laughs) Far exceeded it. And it causes confusion even among the church and it causes divisiveness and it causes frustration and anger and all these emotions well up and sometimes it's not easy to love people that are easy to love and it's never easy to love people that are on a completely different page on a completely different side of the aisle than we are And so that's why this is so helpful. That's why I'm praising God that he allowed Mark to include this 
in his gospel and some of the other gospel writers in theirs. This is a such an important reminder for you and for me. This conversation between this scribe and Jesus. This one scribe, not a group of scribes, it was one. And the conversation they're having is it's so important. It is critical that we get this. People that are not easy to love. People that oppose you. People that don't look like you, don't behave like you, don't believe like you. They're on the other side of the tracks or the other side of the aisle. They're far right or far left or somewhere in between. And they're in a group that opposes you. And so that's the situation we have in this text. You've got to understand, 99.9% of the time, the Pharisees and scribes were in opposition to Jesus. All through the, all through the Gospels. This ongoing conflict between them. They were insanely jealous of Jesus' popularity and his complete counter-teaching to their teaching. And it, it was just constant conflict between them. And yet, this is such a refreshing scripture to read that it seems as if the scribe and Jesus are agreeing on the sum of the law. I mean, the scribe says, you are right, teacher, in verse 32. He's not being facetious and he's not being sarcastic. He's being sincere. This scribe is being sincere. You answered rightly, teacher. You've truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. What a, what, a, what a critical reminder for you and for me that there are individuals in every group under the sun. There are individuals to the far left. There are individuals to the far right. There are individuals in this religion and that religion. There are individuals on this continent and that continent. There are individuals who are open to the gospel. And they're open to God moving in their life. And this is a great reminder for us that the people we think are too far gone, those people who don't give a rip about church, those people who brag about their own sinful life, these people we say, man, grace can't reach them. They're way too far gone. They are a lot closer than we think. Because here's what Jesus says to this scribe, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far. You are not far. What a strong Reminder to us that even the people that are not easy to love, we are called to love them. How do we love them? We share the gospel with them. The same gospel that forgave you of your sin, the same gospel you needed to hear in order to be forgiven, is the same gospel they need to hear for them to be forgiven. That's how we love them. We point them to Christ. We pray for them. We go out of our way to love them and share with them. Man, what a powerful reminder that this one scribe, this individual, is so close to the kingdom of God. But again, Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom. So it's interesting to me that the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they set out that day to pass judgment on Jesus, and Jesus is the one passing judgment. <laughs> irony of that. Jesus is the lawgiver and judge. He's the only one who is the judge and lawgiver. He's it. And his evaluation of this scribe on this day was, hey, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're close. 
You're real close. But did you catch that? You're not far from the kingdom. Get this. He hadn't come in yet. He's not far, but he's not in. I wonder today if this scribe describes you. You're not far from the kingdom, but you've not yet come in. J.I. Packer has a, a powerful testimony. He, he was an English-born Canadian theologian and evangelist. And his testimony of his salvation, how he came to Christ, he used a picture to explain that. And I want to share that picture with you. It's a, it's a word picture, but it's a, man, it's, it's a great illustration. Uh, J.I. Packer said the picture was that of someone looking from outside through a window into a room where some people were having a party. Inside the room, people were enjoying themselves by playing all these different kinds of games. The person outside could understand the games that were being played on the inside. In fact, the person on the outside knew all the rules to the game that was happening on the inside. They knew the ins and outs of that game on the inside. But they were on the outside, and the people that were having the party were on the inside. He, he, he had never come in. He needed to come in, but he had never come in. And Packer said, in that moment, I, I knew that, that I needed to come into the kingdom. I had it all in my head. He said, I understood it all. I knew all about the gospel, but I'd never come in to the kingdom. He said, I need to come in. And that is when he came to faith in Christ, putting his trust and faith in Jesus alone. And some of you listening, worshiping with us online or in person, you're not far from the kingdom, but you've not come in. Hey, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You understand all the rules of, of Christianity. But let me tell you something. Christianity is not about rules. Christianity is not about doing rules. It's all about discipling relationships. That's what it's about. So you need to take that step and come into the kingdom. And we want to help you with that. We want to pray with you. So if you will take your phone and text us, either the word connect to 79969 or I'm ready to come in, any, anything, just text us that number and let us know your decision today. We'd love to pray. We've got people ready to pray for you. So text us today. For those of us who would say, yes, I'm a follower of Christ, let us be reminded today that the church is like a family. It's like your family. There's some crazy uncles over here, right? There's some cousins over there that make you think, man, do I really, am I really related to them? That's how the church is. We're imperfect people. And the word agape that's used here for love means unconditionally love imperfect people. That's what it means. To unconditionally love imperfect people. We are all imperfect people. And God enables us to love with a love that is an unconditional love because He first loved us. And so we're to love one another. Now there may be some of you in this room that have not spoken all 
in, in 2020 because you didn't agree on masks or you didn't agree on, on the COVID restrictions or you didn't agree on public, private, homeschool. Whatever it is, you hadn't spoken. You're mad at each other. Hey, you need to reconcile. Oh, my heavens. The divided United States needs to see a united church of Jesus. Hands down, period. The way the world knows that we belong to Him is our love for one another. That's where we must start. Loving God, love one another. So that is the expectation God has. Exactly what God expects from you is this. I've worded it in our takeaway, and here's how I've worded it. Love God the most so you can love people the best. Love God the most so you can love people best. Some of you have people in your family and, 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 or, or in the church, and, and you don't see eye to eye on issues. That's in every family, every church. But it's become more heightened and more heated over the last year into this year. And there needs to be some reconciliation. But in order for you to reconcile, you've got to love God most so you can love one another the best. You need to love God unapologetically so you can love one another appropriately. Love God boldly so you can love one another biblically. Love God colossally so you can love one another as seen in Colossians. Love God enormously so you can love one another, even your enemies. Love God the most so you can love people best. Love God first so you can love one another at last. Love God the greatest and the most so you can love one another regardless of their latest post. Love the God of the harvest with the hardest love so you can love one another even the hardest in God's harvest to love. Love God the most so you can love people the best. Love God the loudest because a lot of us are just unlovely to love. But we're to love one another anyway. Love God the most because loving one another, church, it's a must. We must love God from north, south, east, west so we can love one another from the nosiest to the noisiest, from the nastiest to the nicest. We're to love one another. We're to love God radically so we can love God, so we can love one another rightly. We're to love God every day that is called today so on that day we can be found loving one another. We're to love the God of the Word so we can love the one another's in our world. Love God the most so you can love one another best. Father, the only way we can love is because you first loved. It has nothing to do with willpower. It has nothing to do with us trying harder. It has everything to do with grace, grace, grace. That you loved us not because we deserved it, not because we were worthy. It's based upon you the one who loves, not us, the ones you loved. It's based on your character alone. And you love every person that's here in person and worshiping online. You love each of them as if they're the only one. And that's the same for the whole world. And because that love demonstrated for us on the cross when Jesus died for our sin, was buried and raised to life, everyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus' work on the cross have now have the ability to love you back and to love one another.
So if we're a Christian, we are without excuse. If we belong to you, we're without excuse. We must reconcile with each other. There's no option to it. And if we don't belong to you, there's also no option. We can't love one another because we've not experienced love from you. So for those who would say, I've never trusted Christ as my Savior, I pray right now that wherever they are, they would humble themselves. They would call upon your name. They'd recognize, as the the scribe did, you are right, Jesus, and I'm wrong. And I put my faith and trust in what you've done on the cross for me. Come into my life and save me, Lord. Forgive me of my sin. He'll save you right now. We want to hear from you if you've made that decision. For anybody else, any other decision you have to make, these steps are going to be open for you to come and pray. You can go to whoever you need to go to in this room and talk to them. You can send them a message later on in the day or call them later. Reconcile, church. Father, have your way during this invitation and move us to the decision we need to make. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, would you stand?